Welcome, 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 everybody, to a... Oh, 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 Santa? Is that you? What are you doing here? Again? I I heard you were recording a podcast about Christmas music. Well, uh, yeah, Santa, I don't know how you heard about it. Oh, 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 is it a blue Christmas? Or perhaps a Christmas in Hollis? Welcome, everybody. If you have walked this way, you are once again in violation of jaywalking because this is Jubilee Street, a music podcast. I am one of your illustrious seminal co-hosts, Jake Curtis. I'm joined here by the more seminal co-host, Ian McCurtis. And this is another episode of our Christmas celebration series, holiday celebration series, where we talk about some cool Christmas adjacent Music, movies, in this case, we're talking about a documentary. Ian, you want to tell them what it's called? It's called Jingle Bell Rock. When I seen a man chilling with his dog in the park, I approached him very slowly with my heart full of fear. Looked at his dog, oh my God, a ill reindeer. But then I was yelling to the man at a beer, and a bag full of pity, 12 o'clock at night. So I turned my head a second and the man was gone. But he left his driver's ride his back dead on the lawn. I picked the wallet up and then I took a pause. Took out the lights and then it cold said Santa Claus. Now, Jingle Bell Rocks is a 2013 documentary directed by Mitchell Kezin. Am I saying his name correctly? Is that how you said it? I th- yeah, that's how I think it is. And I think it's, uh, you suggested watching this, and I I feel like this movie is pretty, like a hidden gem, I guess. Like, yes, it, it doesn't is. look like it ever really took off. And you can watch it on Amazon, anyone who has Amazon Prime. But if you don't, I, I think the conversations we're going to have, you don't really need to have seen the movie. Would you agree, Jake? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 great for this time of year and for you and me who I think because of you and doing these, you know, podcasts during December the last two years have like we've do- we've been able to dive deeper into like the world of Christmas music and like how much good Christmas music there is. And this documentary just showed me like I ha- I ha- like I had no idea all of the like how influential Christmas is to all of these different people and like how it's like manifested in some great works of art that are all related to one of the best American holidays, if not the best American holiday. So basically the crux of the doc is uh, the dude, Mitchell Kezin, the director, he's in the documentary. I guess you'd say he's the main character and he's obsessed with Christmas music. It opens with him like Amoeba Records, I think, and he's, you know, flipping mm-hmm. through the Christmas section, geeking out, and they hey, keep doing little vignettes with can him. I, can I interject about that? Yeah. One, just This is just an aside. Why was he shopping for eclectic music like 15 minutes before a store closes? Do you think he had like been at a different job? Like, uh, if you're going to be a real crate digger, why are you going to a store like like less than 30 minutes before they're going to close? I, I thought it was weird too. I'm guessing it was like to add some drama to the scene, like oh, I gotta find right. something good before it closes. But yeah, yeah, it, it is weird. But yeah, and he's the like movie, rubbing his forehead, and he's like, I'm yeah, he's like sweating, and he's like, gotta get through the stack. Uh, but yeah, the movie um, follows him basically interviewing different people about Christmas music. Some of the people are obsessed with it. Some of the people create it, mm-hmm. and. 
it's just a guy diving in on on something he's obsessed with and and trying to see if other people feel like he does and you know throughout the movie you find out there's childhood reasons why he has such a fondness for Christmas music and there's a touching ending to it but uh we'll get there when we get there did did you think it was a good documentary Jake I thought it was a good documentary I thought I know this is going to sound mean but I was a little tired of like the personal stuff at a certain point and I feel like he could have like kept that to like one little thing in the in the beginning or the middle and then kind of had that I, I think it worked with the ending because they you know he ends up teaming up with like a calypso artist and they make like a cover of mm-hmm. one of his of his favorite christmas song and I think it was it was a good love letter maybe not a great film Yeah and it it's also worth mentioning while being a little bit cr- critical of it that like he essentially made theme wise a t- uh, like a like an like a christmas movie like that's what a mm-hmm. christmas movie feels like it's about a guy who you know it's i mean it's exactly what rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is about you got some kind of orphaned broken character who has a deep connection to christmas and you know is starts out the journey kind of troubled and like looking for meaning and then by the end of it you know, hasn't quite found it, but has found meaning in and a community in his search for, you know, blue Christmas music, like music that's not just uplifting and happy. You know, last week we talked about This Christmas by Donny Hathaway, and I thought this was a nice um, refresher after that because I, I don't typically tend to go for like any sad Christmas music, but I do really like the like that I talked about that Pogues Christmas song Christmas yeah. in New York, right? Fairy tale of New York. Fairy tale of New York. And um I love that song. So this was really up my alley, mostly because I'm just fascinated by like people who are record collectors and especially like specific in the way that this guy and the people that he interviews are. I, I'm really. It, I found like myself by the end of it really fascinated with like record collectors again and the people that, especially that like go go really deep into like very eclectic kinds of record collecting, like this guy and the people that he interviews in the documentary. Yeah, so I think this was the most moving aspect of the film, and what. I think if it was a bigger production, probably what editors and stuff would have steered him into more was Mm -hmm. because that's where I found the Christmas spirit, quote unquote, was like finding this empathy for these kind of people. Because we both have worked at record stores and Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us are people who are easily annoyed, but those obsessive people, you know, there's the guy who calls every day looking for Phil Collins records. There's the guy who comes in after work every day looking for anything you too. There's the yeah. bluegrass guy. There's the 78 guy. You know, you learn all these yeah. characters who are very obsessive and intense. And day after day, you can start to like kind of think of them negatively. It just becomes like a hindrance to you trying to do your job, like dealing with these right. obsessives. And you're like, okay, for the 80th day in the row, uh, no, this like obscure bluegrass artist from West Virginia. We have not gotten in a record by that guy, you know. And this movie really like 
I think had us reevaluate those, you know, more judgmental or negative opinions about these eclectic like record collectors. And I definitely had a greater understanding for like why what they do is important or can be important because you know, they might uncover some kind of gem that somebody recorded at home on their own like record recorder and they can add it to a mixtape, which is another part of the movie is the director makes like a yearly Christmas mixtape. And then you get to find this like phenomenal music that you would have never heard of. And I thought that, like you said, was like one of the more moving and interesting aspects of it is that I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, Stones Throw documentary, Our Vinyl Weighs a Ton, which is about Stones Throw records. But anything that's ever about like people who like dig for like records to sample, I'm so like interested in that kind of thing because I just, I really enjoy the history and like I feel like one of the most like gratifying things is when I find a band from the 60s and when I find a band from you know, within the last year that I would have never heard about just by stumbling upon a list or like doing some Googling. And like, I liked how hands-on this was. I liked that it puts you in that position of like how it feels to go to a record store and like dig underneath and like the box of 45s and you find this like record that you never thought you needed. And then it ends up being this like pivotal big part of your collection, you know? Yeah, because... It was fun. It's, it's a fun movie. It's, it's funny because like me, we're, we're not those type of people. And I think yeah, maybe maybe with have, comics we are, but not even with that as much. We might have friends or family who think we are, who might think that like, oh, Ian's obsessed with AEW wrestling or comic books or, by Jeff Lemire or whatever. Yeah, that, like someone who's not into the thing would think I'm obsessed with, but not we're not obsessed with anything on this level. Like I'm a mm-hmm. fan of a lot of things, but I'm not going out of my way for every scrap of information on anything mm-hmm. because I think my interests are too varied. Most people's interests are too varied. It was kind of endearing to get a glimpse into the life of the kind of people who they really have one interest. Like that is their life. Yeah. Cause I, I I'm not, I don't really, I don't know anyone like that. Like those aren't very common people to meet. Yeah, people that can hone in on those things, typically that's a, a sign of potential success as if like, you know, if you dedicate your life to like studying and learning about Christmas music, eventually you're going to turn that into some kind of career or moneymaker, which I think this Mitchell guy did with like making a documentary about it. Now, it does sometimes have a feel of like like a documentary. It's It's well made. It's just, I think, poorly edited. I think it could have been edited better. Like you said, like if he had had maybe like a couple people pushing him in a certain direction as opposed to just like him making his own vision. But that also, I think, kind of appeals to the viewer because this documentary is chock full of, of great information. I found myself learning a lot about the history of Christmas music, the kinds of people that, you know, wrote some of the most famous Christmas, like famous and well, like best selling Christmas songs. Um, that I, I like, I either I had learned in, like in the past and forgotten about, or just had never known at all. And that that aspect again, with the sort of like very focused vision of like record like record digging and like finding those like gems, I I found all of that fascinating. Uh, 
I wanted to ask you if, you know, God came down or some higher power and was like, you can only have one type, like one entertainment thing the rest of your life. Like you, if you had to like have your one thing, like Christmas music that you became an obsessive over, mm-hmm. what do you think you'd pick? So if we're talking entertainment, I'm going to put it into categories like, so for me, I'm into like card games. So Magic the Gathering, video games, movies, You only have TV, one thing across all, TV. you know, you could pick Magic the Gathering, but then you can't have music. You, you got to pick yeah. one thing. It's hard to choose, but I think if I could only pick one thing, I would pick books because I can kind of throw comic books under that umbrella. Well, then it's got to be a specific thing then. I mean, the guy isn't just like music. It's oh, music. you got to pick. Okay. okay. You're going to be that weirdo who like goes to stores and goes there every day and asks for the same thing over and over. Okay. Then I would probably choose uh, Southern Gothic literature. Okay, I, that's, that's, I could see that. And you're just really yeah. into, uh, you know, the sound and the fury. You got every collected edition. You got different yeah. language translations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing, probably. Or maybe if I was going to choose, yeah, probably that. Probably that. Something like that. It's hard to choose, though, because, again, my interests are varied and I like lots of different kinds of books. And what about you? My mind was going towards books, too, which is funny, I guess, because it's. Books are one of the most rewarding things to return to. I was thinking, I think the closest thing I have to being that like Christmas music guy in the movie is probably Murakami books. I've read them all mm. multiple times. Yeah, you like, love Murakami. There's just something about the way he writes that is like in sync with the way my brain works. So it'd probably be, you know, just hunting down every different cover of every Murakami book and all the short stories and all that stuff. That's a really good choice. I don't I don't believe I have a writer currently that I have that kind of relationship with like you do. Like yeah, well, I, I mean, love I never, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, but I haven't read more than one of his books. I mean, he's the only one. There's very few authors where like, you know, because it's a big investment of time to read a book. So and I to read he it might it be again. the only author I can think of that I've read every book he's written other than uh-huh. authors that have only written a couple like out of authors that have a lot of books, I don't think there's anyone else I've read everything they wrote. Not even Vonnegut. I've read most of them. Mm-hmm. You have read a lot of Vonnegut. I think another argument I would make for like things that I've obsessed about, I think like I've pro- I think TV is a big one. Like, like I could see I could myself see being, being a, like a, HBO a, TV show guy, or like a like an obsessive with Community, or mm-hmm. like I just I've watched The Sopranos. Every year, the last three years, I've watched the entire series. So I've seen the show three times all the way through. And I never got tired of it. I get a little bit f- tired of it by the end because by the end, it's really depressing. <laughs> it gets really, like, it's great. The last season's incredible, but it's also all of the most, like, intense shit happens in the last, like, two seasons. Now, the funny thing is, the things we picked are kind of, like, endearing or would seem interesting to an outsider. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're Southern Gothic literature guy, you're just going to seem really smart and kind of mysterious. And same thing with Murak- if I'm Murakami guy. If you're mm-hmm. Sopranos guy, that's like interesting and yeah, pretty in the mainstream. You know, this guy being Christmas music guy, he's a weirdo. Like most people think he's a weirdo. He walks into these stores 
Yeah. And they're like, no, we don't have a Christmas music section. Like, why are you, why do you want that? You're weird. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, there is that scene, right? Where he's like, kind of gets turned away for asking. But again, I think it was really endearing that like, there are so many people like him who they push through and they, they find their niche and their community. And ultimately that was like my favorite part of it is that there were all these people that were worrying like that were interested and down to like be around this kind of like large, like kind of egg shaped man who is very like kind of cringy in some moments where he starts like crying out of nowhere when people play Christmas music and like, we know people like that. Like we know people who like have probably teared up at a Marvel movie or have teared up watching. I'm I'm there. It's me. You know, like I think that this is a, this, this, this documentary transcends itself a little bit because it's not a great documentary, but it's an excellent character study of like obsessive people in pop culture. I think that's ultimately like it's triumph and that and Mm it's a great testament to like the history of Christmas music. It reminded me. So obviously if you, if you made it this far, this is a very casual episode. So just, uh, yeah, make yourself a cup of hot chocolate and relax with us. This is just a hanging out uh, with Jake yeah, and Ian episode. Out. We're taking, we're, 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 we're putting you in the backseat. We're taking you a little stroll on up to the overlook hotel. We're, we're driving around and we're looking at the Christmas lights. So Doing I don't know if I stuff. ever, if I've ever told you this, Jake, I have an uncle on my dad's side who is obsessed with uh, Heinz ketchup. <laughs> you know I, I don't make, know if like, I knew that. Like every once in a while, they'll put out a bottle, and instead of having the logo, it'll have like a little joke on it. Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has all those, like all the I different bottles. He has memorabilia. You just got a whole house full of fucking Heinz ketchup stuff, and. <laughs> The Christmas guy reminded me of that too because everyone has a relationship with ketchup. Everyone eats it with fries. Everybody but no loves one, ketchup. No one really thinks about it further than that. They're just like, oh yeah, ketchup's a condiment I have sometimes. And Christmas <laughs> music's the same thing. Like, I hear this in the store around Christmas time and it's pleasant, but I never really think about it. You know, yeah, it's something we yeah. all we all have a relationship with, but we don't think about. I love that. Yeah, I was thinking about my uncle and his weird ketchup house. Yeah, it's funny. I don't see a lot of people like that. One, because since the pandemic, rarely have I gone many places until this year. Uh, But like uh, there was a friend of mine in Indiana and I would go. There was probably like a, a year, six, maybe like nine months to a year where I would drive out there. I was in a band with him briefly. And his parents had like a Coca-Cola obsession. So they had like a whole room full of like Coca-Cola merchandise or something like that. Dr. Pepper, Mm Coca-Cola. And my aunt uh, on my dad's side, uh, my, my uncle's wife, she had a thing about cows. So like her entire kitchen was decorated like, everything was like cow themed and uh, my grandma I, was that way with elephants. My grandma was like that way, was like that with elephants too. Uh, I she like passed away when like, I was younger, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's lost now. I feel like people aren't as like that anymore. 
I feel like it's a thing with women of that generation. They're like pushed to have a thing for a certain animal and collect, you know? I don't know. It, it That's another, somebody make a documentary a lot of like about that. older ladies have like <laughs> an obsession with a specific animal. Well, you remember those toys that are like, um, what are they called? Hummels? The Hummel toys? Have you heard of those? No. They're I like those so. cute little like cherubic like children. Oh, like, like Precious Moments? Yeah. My mom something like that, like yeah. Those. They're worth like a lot of money. If yeah, you, yeah. If you if you go on like the shopping channel, they sell for like ugly thousands of dollars. Yeah, they're ugly. They're really tacky. They're kind of um, creepy. The one and they're, they're, they're not kind of creepy. They are creepy. But yeah, that's this documentary definitely reminded me of like yeah. those people who you walk in and they've got like all, all, like. They live in like a two story, but the second floor is like uh, like basically a museum to like whatever Dude, part of pop culture they're obsessed with. You you didn't know me because this is when I was little, but like my mom's house uh, that I think you've been to, you know, that I grew up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd walk in the front door and you immediately had to go upstairs or downstairs. If you went upstairs, yeah. right when you came up the stairs, there was a china cabinet full of those little like angel statues and yeah. then the living room had more cabinets full of them and it did mm-hmm. it felt like you were in a creepy museum and she and sold I, them all luckily and i feel like uh there are people our age and a little bit older who i think i don't when i think of, when you think about it it's not just a thing with women because there have been men for decades that order from like toy catalogs and they have those like oh, same well, like the women thing just specifically with animals like, oh sure, sure. A lot of people have like an aunt that like really likes a certain animal and has stuff with that animal. But I, I, as I think about it, I'm I'm reminded that there are people who like buy like statues that are like replicas from like the Alien movies or yeah, you know, I think Marvel stuff. In general, seems to be more of like a thing men are drawn towards. Yeah, and um, I don't. Yeah, it just it it reminded me of all that kind of stuff. Like it. It had a very, it just, it reminded me a lot. That's, it's just, I, I, I can't unsee it. Like, it just reminded me a lot of, like, being around someone's grandma and, like, they're, it's Christmas Eve and you're hanging out around the fire and they're like, kids, do you want to hear this story about the history of Christmas music? Like, it, it, I don't know if he intended for it, but it really does have that, like, magicalness, like, when they go talk to Run from Run DMC, and you you show up, you have to like drive up to that mansion, and when he goes to meet the guy who created Schoolhouse Rock, like all of that stuff feels very akin to Christmas movies, where like you always mm-hmm. go visit some kind of sage of knowledge or wisdom, and you yeah. leave and you get stronger and like hey, that's true. I bet the movie was purpose. the movie was paced very like yeah. well in that way and. I think it won some movies on, or not movies, <laughs> awards on the, like the award circuit when it was going to festivals because there are like notes and stuff as I was Googling it that it like was an award winning documentary. So who knows if it's like a small time company or whatever award mm-hmm. company that gave it, but. I do think it's successful in the fact that it's like a Christmas documentary that is kind of like secretly, but not that secretly like operating like a Rankin Bass movie. 
I want a, a quick aside. Something you said reminded me of this. Yeah. Uh, we went to the Indianapolis Art Museum last weekend, and they have this uh, Christmas lights display outside. The art museum also has like an outdoor component, and they had these signs with the different Christmas songs they play. Yeah. And one of them was This Christmas. I sent you a picture. And the yeah. Little, the plaque says like copyright Donny Hathaway and what was her name? Nadine McKin- McKinner? Yeah. Something like that. It was just weird. We just talked about it last week. It was a f- weird, freaky, serendipitous thing. But yeah. it was cool that even, I guess her copyright, you know, is so strong that even if it's used in that capacity, her name has to be acknowledged. It was pretty cool. I'm glad she's getting credit where credit's due because it's a great song and she deserves to be listed on it. And it was also just serendipitous that we just yeah. recorded it and then a day after you go to a museum and they happen to do like Donny Hathaway. I mean, it is technically Christmas month, so it makes sense, but I still thought it was really cool and I was glad you shared that with me. So let's uh, let's dive into some of the specific songs in the movie. Sure, um, yeah. So I know there was one that we talked about doing an episode on Santa Claus is a black man by Yeah. Who who's who's the artist? I don't remember, Jake. You're the one who showed me the song. Um I got it in my notes here. You know, a lot of the songs in this movie are pretty obscure. There's the Run DMC section. So it's uh that, it's Akeem and Teddy Van. And it was Yeah, so Produced and released in 1973, and I think that they there's a there's some there's a cool story behind that one. I guess it it got a lot of traction after John Waters put it on one of his Christmas mixes, and that's kind of what helped it blow up. But um, John Waters, a lot of that song kind of originated from the fact that Santa Claus is always white whenever or was always white when you would go to the department stores and. The uh, mom, uh, Wan Ling Van, and the daughter who sings on the original Santa Claus is a Black Man song. When she was a kid, they went to the depart to a department store and they had a white Santa. And so her mom was like, "You know, there are other people who shop here who aren't white that ha- believe in Santa Claus. Like, can you hire someone to be a Black Santa?" And then the next day, there was a Santa Claus there who was black, and um, just a really heartwarming story, like. And this little girl, I think they kind of had to convince her to perform on the song. And I forget what they told her in the documentary, but it was funny, like, what they got her to do so that she would perform because she was really scared. Do you remember what they said? Oh, yeah, yeah. She didn't want to sing, and uh, I don't remember. It's a very small detail, but... she She was in the studio, and she was really shy. You know, the girl's like, sounds like she's five or six in the song. Uh Uh-huh. They had to uh, do all this cajoling to get her to sing on mic. That was one of the more um, heartwarming story. I mean, all of it's pretty heartwarming, but this one in particular was like a really, really like heartwarming story about like the his. It sort of like takes into account like the history of like America and racism and how like these people took it into their hands to like use their talent and sort of like make this very earnest, like thoughtful and like at the time it should, you know, at the time forward thinking like Christmas song that like made it, made it inclusive for everybody. Yeah, I felt, so you had asked me about doing an episode on this song 
and I listen to it, and I just I don't like it at all. I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think the song was supposed to be a play on "I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus," uh-huh. which yeah, I don't like that song either. I just have. I just don't like songs where like little kids are singing, where it's like a five-year-old singing. So you don't and, like the uh, the Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas album? Yeah, or like all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Like I just yeah. don't like hearing little kids sing. So I was just like, <laughs> I, I was like, Jake, we can do this episode, but I don't know what I'm going to talk about because I hadn't yeah. seen the movie, I didn't know the story, but the story behind the song is is beautiful. You know, I, I think they do like explicitly state. They wanted to write a song like I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Yeah. You know, from the perspective of a black family. And I thought that was really cool. And then you hear John Waters saying he grew up in Baltimore and heard that song. And mm-hmm. as a kid, he was like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't Santa Claus be black? Like, you know, it kind of changed his perspective. And I'm sure it changed tons of other people. Yeah. And also for this i think this this movie kind of functions for like all kinds of like culture and history buffs because like john waters being in it i think is really cool and i kind of i realize i haven't really see, ever seen a john waters movie so um crybaby is hilarious and i want to see is that the christmas movie no it's it's one of johnny depp's first movies he's a oh you're right criminal. you're right and then there's hairspray. Um, um, yeah, what was the movie that they were shown had a Christmas scene? I don't remember, but I didn't write down the title of it. But um, yeah, he, I, he oh, oh oh female trouble. That's what it's called. I've I've that's, probably that's, seen three of his movies, so I haven't seen you know. What's the one that he's famous for? Like he eats poop or something in it. I don't know. There's something about like. Like a poop mustache, or he like somebody in a character eats poop in one of his movies. He's very but gross out, I think. Just as a as like a cultural figure, I think John Waters is so important and amazing. Very important, yeah. How um, about so? So I guess he he made a compilation of Christmas songs, and how about that one they show in the movie? It was like, I guess it was a local Baltimore Christmas song that was. You know, on the radio there, and it was like, "I'm Fat Daddy." That was like, <laughs> that song's was like, awesome. I'm, I'm Fat Daddy. And that Fat was, Daddy. That's uh, Fat Daddy Claus by Paul Fat Daddy Johnson from <laughs> 1969. Dude, that song was so funny. It reminded me of um, in, in Louisville. I don't know if you would have grown up with this song, Jake, because I don't think. I know your dad was into like old hip hop, but my mom was really into Nappy Roots, which was like a. A local hip hop group, and they have a song called uh, "It's a Nappy Holiday" or "Nappy Holiday," something like that. Yeah, and it reminded me of that. Like that was probably a Christmas song only people in Louisville really knew. Right, and it's cool to think of like every city having their own little Christmas song. Um, what did you think about Backdoor Santa, dude? <laughs> so that's the first song on that. Um, Soul Christmas compilation I've read up last week. I think it's track yeah. one. Back to Santa. So I knew the song was dirty, but hearing him like talk being about it, so yeah. like 
proud that he like got one over on everyone with like how dirty the song was. Yeah, it was so funny to see because he's like seventy or eighty now, and he still thinks it's hilarious that yeah. that song took off. That was a really cool part. Yeah, Back Clarence Carter's really cool. Uh, and th- there's a part where they show him performing it live, like recently, and he's like old as fuck, and he's like, "I'm coming in all your back doors tonight." Yeah, <laughs> I know the banter was great, <laughs> and uh, it's it's was re- it's refreshing because I feel like Christmas music is so sterilized and like you know white American culture, and the fact that he like that we have Christmas music because of him now that's like funny and kind of risque and like you know. Christmas isn't just about getting presents, you know, it's about like sometimes it's about getting giving the presents that that are in your pants, you know. Yeah, the presents that you don't have to go to the store to buy. Yeah, or at least you just have to go to the store to buy like contraceptive protection. Yeah. Well, not if you're backdoor Santa. And backdoor Santa doesn't care. Right? <laughs> he's he's, che- so he's, he, he's not checking his list, but he's coming twice. <laughs> uh Let's see if there's any other ones I wanted to bring up. Um, okay, so this is two like things that the listeners are not going to like, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, there's a guy in the movie named Brian Coleman who I thought looked exactly like Blixa Bargell. Do you remember who I'm talking about? I didn't offhand. I had to look him up. Like I had to go back to the movie. But yeah, I, yeah. I totally see it for sure. And there was a cover they showed in the movie for, uh, again, listeners, I'm sorry about this, Untamed Youth did a Christmas record and I thought yeah. I th- I thought that it was like style stylistically and like layout wise it was like almost exactly a copy of the junkyard cover. Oh and yeah, I, didn't, I remember the exact one you you're talking about because I was yeah. like this is definitely a punk band but I'm not familiar with it. I know exactly I, what you're talking about. I figured for our Nick Cave listeners um they might find that enticing to go and like check out the movie. That part um, was cool. I think that was during the Dr. Demento part. Yeah. Are you familiar with him at all, Jake? Uh, no, but it sounded like you were when we were talking about it before the podcast. So he's kind of like an infamous uh, radio DJ mm-hmm. from, I want to say he started in like the 70s. And he would just play like the wackiest songs people would send in. So just like funny songs, noisy songs, weird songs. He just loved... Uh, kind of like the guy this documentary loved Christmas music. This guy just loves weird music, and yeah, he kind of helped Weird Al get his start. Like he was playing, you know, Weird Al was just getting started. He was playing all those first singles and helped get him recognition. He's just another like John Waters, just like a great cultural figure who just like revels in weird things and the joy of things outside the mainstream. So it was really cool seeing him get some shine in this movie. I don't know if I ever recommended this to you, but there's a movie called The Fisher King that's about um it, it's 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 just kind of it's a very like early 90s like um what's that what's the guy's name who directed like it's Terry something but I can't think of his last name. You did tell me about it. You watched it in the past year or two, right? I watched it this year um yeah, with you Haley. Did, you did tell me about it, but I haven't watched it. Jeff Bridges is in it and he plays a DJ, but it was back when like I think being a DJ was different and I liked that Dr. Demento like had like sound effects he would make and like little toys he would use to make like yeah. musical like sound cues and stuff. Um I really I, I that wish seemed we still really had, fun. Like 
you know, I don't ever listen to the radio, so I'm part of the problem. But I wish we still had uh, a radio culture like that, where we had those like radio personalities. Well, I think that's why we we both really like the Office Hours guess, podcast with yeah, Tim Heidecker because you know, they have the drops. Is just, but podcasts aren't. There's like a silliness to live radio that podcasts there don't is. have. Tim Heidecker yeah. does still have that silliness, but he's modeling after radio. And he does record it live, like they. Yeah, he doesn't. You know, they don't they really edit it. They stream it, and um, you know, I, I imagine there's probably some post production afterwards, but not much, because there's a lot of like dead air and stuff like that. That's I think that's why there's a certain energy to that show because, like, if you watch that enough, he gets like kind of pissed off if like fans are like talking about nonsense and you know that kind of thing. Anyway. Um, I'm going to skip forward to what I found to be my favorite music that I got out of this, which is mm-hmm. the section where they talk about low. Mm-hmm. And I had I got I had to kind of do like a double take because when they brought it up, I was like, "Wait, are we talking about the same low that we're, I think we're talking about?" And they they're they're a Mormon band, which I I never knew. I always just sort of associated them with like the shoegaze scene because they make shoegaze like indie music slow core and slow core thank you does Carissa's weird and shit like that fall under that or um yeah i mean i think that's probably the most similar band to lowe's chris's weird maybe so, morphine or codeine oh, i don't know I, codeine I get, yeah there's codeine, a band called codeine and a band called morphine i think codeine is the one i'm thinking of yeah or like the one uh, you're thinking of because they've got painters. that iconic yeah red house painters um Speaking of which, Mark Kozlik has a Christmas record. Not listening to that this year. Mark Kozlik, who is that? The uh, Mount Kimby guy? The Red House Painters, Sun Kill Moon guy. Sun Kill Moon, yeah. Is a shitbag. I'm going to use this as a PSA. I have two Christmas records currently that always make my rotation. Mm. One of them being... The Vince Giraldi Trio, Charlie Brown Christmas, which I mentioned in the Donny Hathaway episode, and then the John Fahey Christmas instrumental mm-hmm. records where he does like guitar covers of like Christmas songs and he does medleys. I am now adding Lowe's 1999 Christmas EP to that list. I think that it is one, bar none, it's one of the best EPs I've ever heard. Um, and Christmas music wise, it's phenomenal. Like, I listened to it like two or three times in a row and I'm like excited to play it again once we're getting in the Christmas spirit and um, I got to drive out to my mom's tomorrow so I'll probably listen to it on the way there but um, I think the song's called This Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, the first song, yeah. That song is so fucking, it's like on our way from Stockholm. Dude, it's such a great melody. It's and like, it, and I really I, I I don't think songs that like kick in immediately are given enough credit. Like that song kicks in immediately. It's like immediately great, great intro. The whole sequencing of that EP is incredible. And then long way around the sea. Oh, just like licking my lips thinking of that song. You know, it's making me hungry. You know what's what's funny, Jake? I'm noticing is earlier you said that you don't normally gravitate towards sad music christmas music but that's not true because the that charlie brown christmas record 
has this like wistful, sad energy to the whole thing. Well, that's because Charlie Brown is like a tragic character in a lot of ways. But there's like low key, it's a very sad record. And the low record also has like a sadness to it. Well, it's like in Arrested Development, whenever George Michael it gets embarrassed, like they do the the Charlie Brown cue where it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's iconic, like sad boy kind of music, but yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about that. And no, I I agree. That low record is, is great. It's flawless. It's flawless in the way that the all Hallows EP is a flawless Halloween EP. Last week I was talking about how like soul and R and B music just makes sense to be Christmas music. Oh yeah, this, definitely. This thing that Low does, the like slow core minimalist, is you wouldn't expect it to make for good Christmas music, but it absolutely yeah. does. It, it shouldn't work, but it works so well. I know that you guys, or um, I know that you had played a show with this guy, and I think his name is Mark something in Louisville. Oh. Um, Mark Kramer, he he worked at Erexy yeah. for my whole yep. childhood. That he, guy. he definitely uh plays that style of music. Cause he does he's got like the hollow body guitar and it's just him with like an amp, like a small amp and some reverb, and he really kind of that's what I always think of when I think of this, like mm. when I think of low now, because to be honest, I'd never really cared for Low until I heard this, and now I'm am excited to like listen to that new record because I know that's making a lot of rounds for end of year lists. And um, yeah, that um, that style of music is like fascinating to me. I don't often like it, but it's just a weird way to go about writing a song. Like, what's the fewest notes? Like, I'm gonna space the notes really far apart. There's not gonna be that many instruments. Like, what's the least amount of work I can do to make a song? It's masterful songwriting. Usually, I mean, you know, me and you are like adding layers. Like, let's add a sample here. Let's add another mm-hmm. uh, percussion element. Like, let's add, add, add. And that whole philosophy is subtract, subtract, subtract. Take it all away until you only have the barest bones you need to make a song. They're ben- they benefit too in that simplicity because they have two different ranges vocally. So there's like a female vocal and a male and low, vocal in yeah. that group. So they yeah, can that's play really, a lot I mean, more with timbres and like feel like different tones and stuff like that. That's true because they have plenty of songs that are almost a cappella. Like they can just sing together and make a good song. Hundred percent. I I I wish I had something more involved to say than this is a fucking incredible thing. But um, I learned a lot about Low from this documentary and never knew they were Mormon. They're still practicing Mormon. Yeah, I didn't know they were religious at all. It doesn't really make its way into the music. And I also found like one of my new favorite Christmas records. So thank you, Mitch Kezen, for that. And thank you, Lo, for making this. And, you know, I found it over 20 years later. Do Mormons actually believe the thing where like uh, Jesus came to America and Native Americans have dark skin because he cursed them? Is that something they still believe? I think think that if. In my opinion, if there is a belief that exists in any sort of Christian tome that you can find on the internet, they probably have at least a small section of their church that believes it. But it's probably been written out from like modern Mormonism, you would think, right? I I don't know. I you can't ever write any of that shit out. The things that people still believe these days, it's hard to 
you can't I, I, I feel like I can't give anybody any credit anymore you know I just wonder what like uh, like the killers are Mormon too like I wonder what that mm-hmm. what they believe like you know the modern yeah. Christians don't believe everything in the Old Testament so well, I just wonder what it means to be a Mormon uh, I feel like there's like a weird thing it, with entertainers and Mormonism because like there was like a big wave of like the Book of Mormon, I think, kind of like making fun of it. And then, but it, there's like, like Gary the Bagman from Veep is Mormon. And, you know, I think there's other prominent actors in Hollywood that are Mormon. And I think like there is like some kind of religious connection there, maybe with like celebrity, like, but it could also hey, just be a coincidence. If you're a Scientology, you, you know, and you want to take the time out of your day, I would love to know. What you believe, if you consider yourself a progressive person, like what makes you different than your average Christian that makes you call yourself a Mormon? Because I just don't know. Yeah, let us know. We we have a podcast email, uh, jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. Write us up. Because I, I know what makes Mormonism different, like historically, but a lot of that stuff, there's no way people still believe it. So I wonder what they believe now. Definitely, definitely hard to believe that they would believe in like yeah. Any of that bizarre stuff you brought up. And um, I don't think, I don't, I doubt like the killers believe that stuff, you know? But I mean, there's tons of religions where they have like weird beliefs about like skin color and like, like the nation of Islam thinks that the white man, which I think is a, is a pretty like well sold metaphor for racism and colonialism. But like the nation of Islam, I believe under, um, Elijah Muhammad believe like they would sell people on the idea that like white men are devils with like that used to have black skin, but because they became corrupted, they turned white. And like, while I don't, I, I do believe that like, you know, that tale is easier for me to believe in the kind of world we live in. But I also think it comes from the same place, you know, like you're condemning people on skin color as opposed to character. Yeah, that's true, and that was just, what, you know, 50, 60 years ago, that was a very popular idea. I love in Curb when Leon shows up uh, to convince uh, Kramer, Michael Richards, to uh, that he doesn't have, like, Garrett's disease or something, <laughs> and he's... Uh, Larry's he shows up and Larry's like I told you not I told you to look like a Jew not Farrakhan or something really funny reference um anywho not to go too far off the rails um so we talked about low I wanted to bring that up um did you have any relationship to the Nat King Cole song that's kind of like the crux of the movie no, I don't think I'd ever heard it before. I, I hadn't either. I don't remember it. I'm not a big. I'm not big into that older Christmas music. The kind of like stuff I'm that not, Corey Lucas listens like, to, like that Bing Crosby bullshit. Yeah, that stuff just does nothing. It just sounds so old. Like yeah, yeah, it does nothing for me. It's it's like I feel like you would have like no taste in anything to like music like Bing Crosby. <laughs> oh shit! Like, I don't know. If yeah, I would say that usually usually like. If you if you're into that kind of stuff, you probably your favorite show is probably it's always sunny in Philadelphia and like you know stupid stuff like that. <laughs> probably really, well, probably really like you know video games about Madden and whatnot. Video games about Madden. Uh, well, John Madden story. The podcast doesn't. <laughs> Jubilee Street LLC doesn't endorse everything that Jake Curtis says. Let's just leave it at that. What's that? What? Sorry, my agent was telling me I had to. We're gonna have to probably edit that out. 
Yeah, you don't want the, the ghost of John Madden coming after you. Well, him, he and Bing Crosby teamed up, and they both just showed up at the door like I'm in fucking uh, Scrooge McDuck and Christmas Tale, Christmas Carol. Did didn't Bing Crosby beat his kids and shit? I mean, all those old dudes probably did. Everybody did. I mean, that was like the fun thing to do back then. That why do you think video games are so popular now? Like you know, it's well, like, the, the world was still in black and white, so yeah, it wasn't as interesting. It wasn't as interesting. It's like, oh, my kids are full color. Let's go ahead and beat the shit out of them. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you were saying about um, we, were, we were talking about the Nat King Cole song. So you didn't have much of a relationship to that. No, but it was you know. So basically, it, it's the guy who made the documentary. It's his favorite Christmas song, and mm. it's the MacGuffin of the movie. Uh, yeah, and it's a song about Santa Claus. For you know, forgot me. It's about a kid who Santa Claus just must have skipped over. Yeah, and the. Dude who made the documentary, his dad left him when he was a kid, so he said that song just always spoke to him because he felt like his dad forgot about him, and he's just carried that his whole life, and that was also really powerful. That was when I realized, like, oh, these dudes who are, like, annoyingly obsessed with something, there's a reason. Like, they all have their own reason for it, and it's probably something mm-hmm. beautiful like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he was a child of divorce, right? His dad wasn't yeah. around. And um I think that again, it's just another argument that the movie is a it's it's not a documentary. It's a movie it's like an actual Christmas movie where there's like a rise and fall and there's adventure and whimsy and all the kind of stuff you want to do. Yeah, that's a, a great movie. point. It really is. Yeah. Um it also made me that that part in particular, I think kind of c- cements it for me because every Christmas movie there's always a character or if it's a good one, there should always be a character who doesn't believe in Santa. And by the end of it, they they you know they're no longer uh, this is the, a skeptic. This is the community the community Christmas episode formula exactly. And like, there's always a Jeff Winger who's a skeptic, and then you always have <laughs> yeah. and you and you always have to have an Abed to keep that like energy mm-hmm. and like childish energy, like, childish nature alive, you know. And Shirley cultivates it, and Troy enables it, and Annie kind of just goes along with it, you know. <laughs> Pierce is delusional, totally. But uh, it remind I, one of my favorite movies to watch during uh, the holiday season is The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. I think it's still a great movie. It's still pretty funny. I think it hel- it holds up mm-hmm. pretty well. And there's that scene where uh, Judge Reinhold says the only thing he wanted for Christmas when he was three was a Oscar Mayer Wiener whistle. And Santa didn't bring it to him, so he stopped believing in Santa when he was three years old. And then, you know, you can guess what happens at the end of that movie. But uh, do you remember on Arrested Development where they have a judge show where it's like Judge Judge Reinhold? Whenever I watch the movie, Haley doesn't know what I'm talking about when I do it. But I, whenever he's on screen, I'm always like mock trial with Jay Reinhold, mock trial with Jay Reinhold. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, that was a th- that reference was so specific to that time period. Like, I was just talking to somebody about how, like, if you watch like The Officer, Arrested Development now, and you don't know anything about William Hung or like uh, Gangnam Style or yeah. anything like that, that there, was a big deal. There's references that you're gonna miss out on. Um, but that's what happens when you're writing so, a current TV show. So, so this Bing Crosby song, or sorry, Nat King Cole song, keeps uh, kind of weaving its way in and out of the movie, mm-hmm. and it crescendos in the end where uh, there's this record store they go to a few times owned by 
Uh, these Caribbean people, I don't know exactly where they're from. I think Calypso music is usually Trinidad and Tobago, uh, so maybe they're from there. Charlie's Calypso City is the name of the record store and recording and, studio. Uh, they have a recording studio in the record store, and they can't find a Calypso version of this Nat King Cole song, so mm-hmm. they agree to record one uh, for the guy making the movie, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the finale and it's, it's it's a great cool. finale, it's, yeah. I I would recommend uh, you, Jake, or anyone who liked that vibe. There's a there's a great ska Christmas album the Toasters did that's just ska versions of a lot of Christmas classics and oh, you know, Calypso music. that sounds cool. Calypso music and ska music are pretty closely related, mm-hmm. so it's got that vibe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really cool. It was uh, like you said, there's just something about the guy that's kind of like off so i don't think the moment's as touching as you might want it to be but you know he's crying and it is a beautiful way to end the movie i think he's having an emotional experience the entire time and everybody else is just like yeah christmas music is cool and he he yeah i think that's it i think the rest of the people in the room aren't on that same emotional journey that he's yeah. on so it's like it's kind of weird. So it adds this very like kind of Tim and Eric like cringiness yeah. to it. That's really fun as well. They're all, they're all just like playing music. Like that, that's just what they do every day. Yeah. And this other guy, it's like the best day of his life. He's and, weird and he's over here with vibe. the producer who um, is kind of a ham, Ralston Charles. Remember, he was the like main guy who runs the studio when he goes. Yeah. yeah, and he's like he puts his arm around him and he's like this. This man has helped make you know magic happen here for me today and he's got his arm around him and he's like holding like a glass of rum and the guy's just he's like let me tell and, and the guy plays along with it he's like let me t- he because he, he's a showman and he's like he like let me tell you a story about this and then the musician that they hire is the mighty sparrow right That's, is what the, the musician that they hired to sing the calypso version of that Nat king cole song is named the mighty sparrow Oh, okay. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. Mighty Sparrow. In case anybody wants to check that out, uh, that guy's got a phenomenal voice. Um, so the ending really, really ties a nice, you know, pun intended thread around the gift box of that movie. Like, there is a lot of. I can't believe you didn't say Bo. Well, I uh, subvert expectations on Jubilee Street. Yeah, that was the biggest swerve of the episode. Some people jaywalk. I happen to. Sea walk. I'm talking. Swerve, I'm talking Christmas. Swerve in and out of lanes. I, I sea walk. I, I'm a Christmas walker. I'm always walking jolly. Jolly walking. Anyway, um, Jolly Rangers. Uh, what? What is your favorite Christmas candy? Jake, I was about to ask you the same thing. I think it's because I said Jolly Rangers. So I think on a Halloween episode we we did Halloween candy. So let's now. Two months later, do Christmas candies. Okay. I am a big fan of anything like like chocolate and peppermint together, like a like a peppermint hot chocolate drink. Oh, man. You're speaking or, my language. Or like um, some sort of chocolate cookie with like... Keep it coming. Crushed up candy canes Oh, on top. man. Yeah. Keep it coming. That like uh, that flavor combo of Lay it on chocolate me. And Lay milk. it on me. <laughs> is really good. <laughs> I also like... Um, I think your mom might... Mate I know what you're talking about. 
I think I know what you're going to say. That's sort of like, uh, they call it reindeer chow, where it's like yeah. Chex Mix and pretzels, white chocolate, yeah. M&M's. Yeah. My mom stuff's good. has made that before, and she would make this stuff called, um, I think like, fuck, what do we, keep going, keep going, I'll, I'll remember it. Your mom had, so, like, when I was growing up, like, other kids, they would call it reindeer chow, but I think your mom had a different name for it, and I can't remember what it is. Uh Man, Maybe you'll have to text it, Pam and see. Yeah, I gotta ask her. I'm blanking on it, but she used to make this thing every Christmas that I I I've never tried to replicate. But it's peanuts, pretzels, and marshmallows, and then you drizzle. You basically uh, drizzle chocolate, like melted chocolate, all over it, and you freeze it. And it's a, it's like, and then you put a little bit of like, before you freeze it, you put some like crystallized salt on it and it is bar none one of the best like Christmas treats ever. I, 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 I think it's maybe moose tracks is what it's called. Um, moose tracks. Yeah, I think so. But moose yeah. tracks is also an ice cream. So I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll ask Pam and, um, maybe we'll make like the, ti- that we'll make that like the partial title of the podcast or put it in the bio or something. And then, uh, are, do you like gingerbread? I love love gingerbread. gingerbread. I, I've I've I love gingerbread, and I plan on making. I don't know if we'll make gingerbread cookies this year, but I do want to make um, molasses cookies. Those are big ones for me during the holidays. Yeah, I would think that as far as like desserts go, Christmas is probably one of the easiest to do vegan because. Oh yeah, a lot of these flavors like peppermint, ginger, molasses, like you know, all that stuff's already vegan. Another big one for me uh, that I really enjoyed, my aunt, again, on my the one who was obsessed with the cows from earlier, every Christmas, she had a huge family with lots of like younger kids. And then so the my, my family with my mom, my dad, my brother, and myself would go over to my uncle's where it was just him, my aunt, and my cousin Brandon. And we would, and she had the most amazing Christmas like treat display. So she had uh, Buckeyes or a big, or a big, or a big, do you know what, do you know what, do you know what? It's just like peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah, right? but they would yeah. make them with bourbon. Okay, like bourbon balls. Exactly. Like so balls. they would always make those. That's a big thing in Louisville is like bourbon balls at Christmas. I don't get time. it anymore. I think I don't really feel like bourbon. I think it's I think alcohol is really tasty when it's baked with, but when it's like it, it, if you make them really boozy, then you can you can get a buzz on eating them. But I remember those. I remember uh pretzel like the white chocolate pretzels that i guess she would just make there but they looked so good she probably got a lot of stuff from the store let's be honest or from the bakery but uh and and then you know what you can't beat a good sugar cookie on christmas you can't you just can't you know i'm gonna try um you know those like kind of thumbprint cookies people make at christmas where it's like a peanut butter cookie and they put a chocolate kiss on top you're speaking those are my favorite i love those cookies so I found a it's a coffee and milk yeah. version where you make like a cookie and then you put this like coffee cream in the middle where you put your thumbprint. I'm gonna try making those. Mm. I hope it turns out. That sounds delicious. Um, I love I love coffee in a dessert like tiramisu. Ian, do you have any other songs or moments from this documentary that really stood out to you? Um, I I did I really liked um. How they ended with that Flaming Lips Christmas song, which also ties oh, back yeah. to our episode we did last week. 
I, that's uh, well, I really like that Christmas song because I mean he he went through it in the documentary. Like it's it's a very beautiful sentiment. He's like, why? What is it about humanity that we can be the way we're supposed to be around Christmas time and can't be mm-hmm. like that all year? And it's just so powerful and. It makes That's a great song. I, I, it was really cool. They it makes it. Wayne Coyne even more endearing as just a person that he has such a love for Christmas, and I, I found that really really cool about him. And I also I was really moved by the story of him recreating that TV movie, dude, with like yeah. Fred Armisen and. Yeah, I kept seeing Fred Armisen. I looked. I up, thought I was, like, is that Fred I thought Armisen? I was hallucinating. Was. I was like, is Fred Armisen really in this right now? I did too. There's a lot of like random awesome people that show up in this thing, and then, and then like because of my guilt I carry, I was like, am I just being like low key racist and this is just like a Venezuelan uh-huh. man or wherever Ex- Fred Armisen's <laughs> from? And I yeah. just think it's him, <laughs> but it, it uh, was really him. Yeah, that was so sweet. He made a movie. Based on this Christmas movie, his mom thought she saw that didn't exist, so he made that the movie sentiment exist. is almost the most Christmas sentiment in the entire movie. It's it's very because sweet. Christmas, and you know, not everybody has this kind of privilege, but Christmas was one of the for for probably the first like fifteen years of my life. It was always one of the most magical days. And I know the story behind Christmas. I know it's about capitalism and, but miracles would happen. Like my, when, especially when I was a little kid and there would just be these toys that showed up that I would open and I would be like, Oh my God. Like I had no idea. Like I remember Mm -hmm. opening up like a optimal optimist toy when I was really into beast wars and he could turn into a plane, a car, like a truck, and his like weird robot ape form. And I was like, holy shit. Or, and I'll, I'll save some of this for, we're going to do a, uh, an episode specifically about, um, well, I don't want to spoil it. You'll see, but it's connected to like the Christmas gift theme. But there is something about Christmas where, the reason we love Christmas movies, the reason we love Christmas, the reason we love like the holidays is they're all connected to that love and that like feeling in a room where you're getting to exchange gifts and you're getting presents and you, you, it's, it's very childlike. It's very, it's, it's like that one time of year you can truly just be giddy and be like that kid who freaks the fuck out when he gets a Nintendo 64 for Christmas when he's like, Oh my God. I, I thought, and what I'm getting at Wayne, Wayne is let me let me just finish this thought because it'll make sense. I know I'm going off on a tangent here. What I'm getting at is that we want to relive that, and there is something about there are things that I remember experiencing on Christmas that the memories get foggier and foggier as I get older. And I thought it was so beautiful that Wayne had this like f- memory of something that he experienced that was beautiful. And they could never have that again, but he used it to create something just as beautiful and touching. And yeah. I think that sentiment alone was like worth the price of admission for that movie. I really liked what he said about, uh, you were talking about Christmas being tied to capitalism. And I think he says the same thing. And he's like, 
you know, the origins might suck and the world might even suck. But during Christmas, you know, it's getting to be where it's dark like 18 hours a day. And we put lights up everywhere to fight against it and come together yeah. and be happy. And why can't that be enough? And I thought that was, you know, just a great idea. A couple like Lucy's that I was going to bring up. Um, the there's a song they talk about a lot in it called "Close Your Mouth." Close your mouth. It's Christmas by the Free Design. Get to know the people in your yeah. house. You might like it. You might like. You them. might like them. <laughs> um, Never heard that song, but it was. Then um, I liked the like almost Davy Havoc looking guy, Elvez, the uh, Mexican. Elvis Santa guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, who I never knew about him. Um, I really liked the story for Christmas in Hollis where. Um, yeah, that was the other. Well, thing good. Then go, yeah. go ahead and go into that. Well, so that's always been one of my favorite Christmas songs. That was one I grew up with, you know, as early as I can remember. And I loved that. Uh, they basically said Run DMC got the call to make a Christmas song, I believe, for like a Special yeah. Olympics uh, charity It was a charity thing. thing. Is that what it was? And they wrote it in like half an hour, which you just sent me like a beautiful song a week ago and you said mm-hmm. a similar thing. And that's sort of the older I get, the theory I have on songwriting is if it's a good song, it probably won't take you longer than half an mm-hmm. hour to write it or an hour mm-hmm. at the most. So it was cool to hear like, you know, this song that gets played at all the stores everywhere he wrote it while he was having breakfast in like you know 20 30 minutes and i thought that it, was so cool like when it hits it just comes to you and he was like i hadn't even finished my omelet or whatever it was such a cool moment of you're never gonna know when the muse hits you so you just need to be ready for it when it yeah. does and like th- that that's like what we learn through this podcast about nick cave through everything is like it's not so much that you're a genius, it's that you're like willing to accept the moments when they come. You're willing to like when it hits you, follow it exactly. through. Exactly. And you know, the follow through I think is harder than the That's than, everything. Cuz you can't control uh-huh. when it hits, but you can control if you follow it through. That's why we like it. sports and sports movies so much because like in the King Richard movie that just came out, there's like something really striking about the movie where the main characters win a lot. And then there's something that happens near the end of the movie where they don't win, but they, they don't lose focus after that. And I think that's like a sentiment that's not shown enough in all kinds of movies, but that's why we like sports movies because like even when a team loses, like it's all about like the sportsmanship and the follow through. And I thought that like run run is a really good storyteller. Like just him on screen was really fun and funny to watch. Like I just, I think there's so many things that we like that people end up writing books about that is really just as simple as like somebody taking a shot of whiskey or like a puff on their joint in the morning. And they just like write something that becomes like, like part of the American canon. And that's what he did that day. And well, that's what we watched in real time on the new Beatles documentary. Mm -hmm. Like 
they're just like hanging out bullshitting while riding, you know, get back. And we think it's like this big pivotal moment, but it's just like normal every day for them. And for yeah, everyone. you know, we just were sitting there with John and George and they start going on and on about this bullshit. And I told them we got to sit down and write a song. Is that our new British uh, co-host? My, hey, Miles? it's me, Miles. I happen to sound a little bit like the Beatles. Going to be going into the studio later on, smoke of two or three packs of uh, fags, if it were. Um, but this is now a three a three host <laughs> podcast. Um, Miles, get out of here. Okay, then I'm going to be getting going. Oh, check out the new Beatles documentary on Disney Plus. The big fan of the genie. Ah, yes, the genie. He's quite sexy, isn't he? <laughs> now, now it's Austin Powers. <laughs> um, but anyway, without going too off the rails. Um, Behaved you. That was Miles. Get out of here, Miles. Hey, I'm going to sold off then. Um, the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it. that's a great analogy with the Beatles and the Get Back documentaries. It's like... And I think this, it ties really well in with um, Jingle Bell Rocks, which is like... You know, sometimes it's just that simple. It's just as simple as like four people coming into a room and like writing down on a piece of paper and like then you get Let It Be or you get Sergeant Peppers and it's like you, you get all these like pivotal pieces of art that like stand the test of time. And I think ultimately that's why Christmas music is so important. That's why it was so important to this Mitch guy and everybody in the documentary because Christmas music is, it's the most, it, it, I would argue it's probably the most like American, like, you know, the American dream that I think is like propaganda. Mostly this music is more about like what it means to be American than I think anything else because, and even just to be a human, like this is very human music. And that's why I think it's like, that's why people like Christmas. And like you were saying with Wayne Coyne, like we like the ritual, we like tradition, you know, we like expecting something every year. It might be a little stressful with like gifts and money, but at the end of it, you still get, you know, that one, two, three day stretch where you're with your family and you get to share some funny moments and you get to share some gifts and some happiness. And I think it's a good reminder again, like, why isn't it like that all the time? Like, why... Why can't we have the like why is it that our lives are like so built around like a 40 hour work week and like an 11 month work year and like why can't why do we live in a society where we're forced into these like systems that are not making us and keeping us happy you know now more than ever after the pandemic changed everything It's a great question and I think uh maybe that's part of what the documentary is trying to show is like Let's try to have that spirit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all year. And long. they do talk about it. You know, they the this Christmas yeah, music was impacted yeah. by the Vietnam War, and it's like, how do you how do you celebrate Christmas back home adequately when there's like young men, predominantly black men, who are being sent to fight a white man's war for like seemingly no reason? Like, how do you celebrate Christmas? Which is a completely other part of like the tragedy around Christmas music that this guy became so obsessed with. Um. And not to mention how interesting it is that Jewish people have such a big connection to Christmas music. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, you know, I think traditionally a lot of, if you look at like the great American songbook or whatever, like 
a lot of these songs written in the 50s and 40s, they're all by, uh, not all, but like Jewish people are definitely batting above their weight. Like, I didn't know that about Christmas songs. That's It's, it's kind of one of those things where like you risk sounding like those like fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene people, but like Jewish people are connected to like some of the greatest things ever made. <laughs> it, it's just a fact. Well, it's the same with like you know what what are black people are what twelve thirteen fourteen percent of the pop of the U.S. population, but in terms of like artistic uh, achievement, they're right. way more than that. And I think I think it's the same with Jewish people. There's just something about oppressed people making great art because they need an outlet. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you know, history has shown that groups that are oppressed make beautiful things. Couldn't have said it. More beautifully myself, and I hope I don't. I, I no. hope that doesn't. Uh, that's not insensitive or no, anything. But you know, it's just it's the truth. And you know, I think Jewish people are even less, just like one or two percent of the population. And we were just talking earlier about how so many of our favorite comedians and movie directors mm-hmm. are Jewish people. Mm-hmm. What you said, but yeah, well, uh, let's let's steer let's, this. On let's home steer this sleigh on up. God, an off the roof minutes. and up to the next house. You know what I'm up saying? Up to the roof. So that was uh, Jingle Bell Rocks, directed by and starring Mitchell Kezen. Uh We will be back later in the month. We're going to have some other Christmas episodes related in different ways. We're going to have our annual Jubies episode. It's coming up. Where we go through our favorite music and maybe a couple other favorite things of the year. Our little year-end wrap-up episode. And then we'll be back on schedules normal come January. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can reach out to us at Jubilee Street pod excuse me at gmail.com uh jubilee street pod on instagram where we got a facebook group we got everything we got it all like and subscribe podcast apps have a merry christmas we'll see you again before christmas though happy holidays everybody have a good week and we'll see you next time jingle bell rocks go back to the way we were Tell me I'm not just a dreamer Tell me Cause I'm talking with a friend